All right. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17. I'm going to read 17 through 19 to start us off. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. And they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as good as a good foundation for that, for the future so that they may take hold of that, which is truly life. Now in verses 17 through 19, which we just read there, Paul is giving instructions to Timothy to give to believers who are rich, who are wealthy. And if you remember the context of chapter six, uh, just to kind of review for a second, there were these false teachers within the church and they were teaching that godliness, spirituality was a means of gain. And that was their personal motivation was to fleece the flock, to take money from the people and use it for their own desires. And we see that going on a lot in ministries and churches and all that type of st- stuff. And it's always a, it's always a danger there. And these false doctrines were creating, they were creating discontent among uh, the people, among many believers in the church, especially it seemed the poor. And that's why he starts off chapter six, talking about slaves and masters. He starts talking to the slaves because they were becoming discontent in the situation they were in. Paul is not talking about slavery being good. He's saying, listen, where God has you, there's an opportunity. Don't try to overthrow your master and all this stuff. Use the opportunity you're in to win them to Christ. Because in the end, that's all that's truly going to matter. And that was part of the gist there. But instead of the church being instructed in contentment in Christ and, uh, and in the position the Lord had given them in life, uh, these teachers were stirring up the flesh in the church. They were stirring up dissatisfaction. How easy it is to to stir up dissatisfaction in us, especially today. Amen. I mean, we are dissatisfied about everything. You know, and why don't I have what they have? And this covetous type of spirit is, is alive and kicking, uh, not only in the world, but also in the church at large. And it's being fostered in the same way. And, and I've, 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 you know, it's, it's hard when, when you're a pastor, you're looking at these things. Do I do that? And you have to ask yourself, honestly, am I, am I guilty of that? And I might be, I joke about a Learjet, but I mean, uh, and you still haven't gotten it guys. And I just, no, actually Scott got me one. Thank you, Scott. Um, Scott's awesome. That's why you got to give him a hard time. He also got me Raider plates, which is, I just didn't work out there. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, instead of being struck in contentment, there was this demonic pressure being pushed on the church, uh, to be dissatisfied in this, there's a pressure being put on the people to focus instead of, instead of on the Lord and contentment and all that he's given us in Christ and using the position we are, no matter how low or how high in this world as an opportunity is to be a witness instead of us going, okay, waking up today going, gosh, Lord, you know, Hey, I'm a slave. And what do you know? Uh, my master's unsaved. What do you expect out of an unsaved master? And well, you know, slavery isn't right. We all know that, but guess what? I'm, God's person in this position to witness to that unbeliever. And that's going to happen. How I live, how I act, how I work, how I treat people. And then Paul flips it around on the masters as well. And obviously we know that stuff, but there's just this focus upon a love of money and possessions that was being pushed by the teachers. 
You know, the, I, the more and more you need more and, and that godliness was a means of gain. This was being pushed. And so Paul warns Timothy and by way of Timothy, the church about pursuing after riches in verses nine through 11 verse nine, where he said, uh, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harm, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, it is through this craving, this aspiration that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And so Paul describes the folly and the danger of pursuing after riches. And so believers are to be very cautious of religious teachers, of YouTubers, of religious uh, Christian financial planners uh, pushing us towards a discontentment in Christ and idolatry to for the pursuit of riches. I hopefully that ruffled some feathers. And so we went over that quite in depth previously. And Paul goes on to tell Timothy flee these things. So not only was it, was it, were the, were the least among the church and even that leadership, but, but Timothy who was set by Paul was under this pressure to start preaching this type of stuff or to embrace it. Cause who doesn't want to hear that God wants to make you rich and God wants to take you out of all your difficulties in your life and make heaven now. Right. Just cut me a check. That's, that's what was going on. Lots of people, when you start telling them what they want to hear, it'll talk about that in second Timothy about itching ears and all that kind of stuff. People will put before them people to say what they want to hear. And so we went over all this stuff, but Paul, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, flee those things, pursue godliness and so forth in verses 11 through 16, which we were, we ended in last week. But the reality was, and is that not everyone in the church is poor. Make sense. Not everyone in the church is poor. He addresses how those doctrines were affecting people who didn't have anything and making them discontent and go, gosh, I just need to get more, you know, and all this type of stuff. But some people are, as Paul calls them in verse 17 this morning, rich in this present age. Now the idea of being rich is relative, isn't it? If I were to ask you, are you rich? You would say, well, depends on who I'm looking at what my standard of rich richness is or wealth is and all that type of stuff. Now we can look at our neighbor and the car they drive and the house they have, and perhaps the, the job they have, or, you know, the, all that kind of stuff. And we can look at them and say, I am not rich according to that standard. But the word rich here in verse 17, as well as the other teachings of the new Testament has the idea of having more than the necessity of food, clothing, and a place to live. So by the biblical definition of rich, are you rich this morning? Do you have food? Do you have clothing? Do you have a place to live? Then the Bible puts you in a, a unique category called rich. MacArthur uh, in his commentary kind of said the idea of rich is you have discretionary spending. Any of you guys went to Starbucks lately? So, uh, the idea is I'm, I'm herping, uh, I'm, I'm hurt, hurting us all into one pile of guilt here. Ready? We're all rich. We're all guilty kind of a thing, right? That's the idea. Just go ahead and say it. But the idea is we're, we're, we're Americans, right? And often our understanding and our idea of, of rich riches is kind of like Disneyland rich compared to real poverty. I mean, how many of you didn't eat this morning? Uh, you know, we all look pretty good. I look fine. You know what I'm just saying? Um, we, we, we generally have the basics and discretionary spending for more. And so by the biblical standard, most of us are rich. 
Most of us are rich. We are truly blessed. And if you've ever spent any time in other parts of the world, uh, how many of you have spent some time in some impoverished, truly impoverished places, excuse me, fibromyalgia kicking up there. It's, it's just jarring to actually see people who have not eaten, who do not have food, who do not have places to live, who are living in raw sewage, all this type of stuff is horrific and your heart just absolutely breaks. And then we come to America and then we see maybe the standard of, of, of the, of people who don't have something. And I'm not saying there aren't people who don't have things, but it's, it's just a different, it's a different kind of understanding. We have so many social safety nets that help out, but if you have groceries, clothing and a place to live and you have discretionary money to spend, you are what the Bible calls as rich. Think about it in the new Testament. It's not an allegory when Jesus taught his disciples to pray and said, give us this day, our daily bread. He's not, he's not, it's not a word picture, a picture going, you know, give us our necessities of more stuff today. No, they're saying, pray for your food today, that God would give you actually food to eat today. That's the idea. Give us this day, our daily bread. Isn't that crazy that it actually means what it says. And this is how, how the disciples were to pray. Trusting the Lord for provisions for the day. And that's what Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount goes into about trusting. And we'll go into that in just a little bit. But I, I think that we would, the super majority of Americans, let alone people who go to church are considered biblically rich. Now, while there are truly the poor among us who do not have food and clothing and a place to live. That that's a minority in, in our society in Paul's day, that would have been flipped. A majority of the people would have been slaves of the Roman empire of some sort. And they would have been impoverished in many ways, but for us, it's, it's kind of flipped. And so I don't want us to have an American standard of riches looking at this and going, ah, this isn't speaking to me because I'm not rich. no, we're pretty much all pretty well off here. And so this is for us this morning. And that's my point. And so Paul speaking to the rich in the church, he says in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. A few things. If you're taking notes this morning, I'll put like eight of them, eight things you want to keep in mind here. The first, firstly, notice that Paul is reminding uh, the rich and that would be most of us, right? That being earthly, uh, being, uh, having earthly riches are just in this present age. He says, yeah, you are, well, he says it right there. He says, as for the rich in this present age, that kind of gives you a hint about the temporariness of riches. And this means that earthly wealth is just that it is a currency for now. It's a currency for now. Also, that's implied that the riches of this present age are non-transferable into the next. I know I ju- you've heard me joke before. You never see a U-Haul following a hearst, right? But that's the idea of the Egyptians tried it. It didn't work out. We found their stuff. We got it. So a lot of it, right? We cannot translate the wealth of this world into the next. Right. Another thing to keep in mind is that people try to conflate two things that earthly wealth is equal to spiritual wealth. They are, although, you know, you can be blessed by God and all those things. Don't, don't uh, conflate the two. 
The riches we have in Christ Jesus transcend this life. The riches we have on earth do not. So this is, this is the point to keep in mind that being material rich is for this age. And Paul says, secondly, so first we want to keep in mind that it's for this age, but secondly, taking notes, Paul commands the rich not to be haughty. And so Paul addresses the attitude of haughtiness. That's uh, one thing that we, we, you know, to be rich is one thing, but to be rich and haughty is, is, is another, isn't it? And quite often riches get to our hearts, don't they? They change our attitudes or is it just me? Anyone else? Okay. Just me. Okay. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for being with me there. But the danger of having riches is that we can become conceited. And that's the idea there. One can begin to look down on others or take advantage of them and oppress them and mistreat them because of the position or the power that they have. James actually speaks about this. There was a church of poor people he was writing to in, in James's uh, gospel there, or James's uh, letter in James chapter five, verses one through six. I'll read it for you right now. And so what had happened is you have a church full of poor people and they were being oppressed by some rich landowners and all that type of stuff. And this is what James has to warn those landowners. And some of them actually might've been in the fellowship of the church. And so remember, you know, there were slaves and masters that all kind of came to Christ and they all gathered in one building. And, you know, just, you know, what you are on the outside, you kind of are on the inside. You know, if you don't have a, 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 a biblical mindset of our equality in Christ. Amen. And so he goes in James five, one to six, he says, come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evident against evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. In other words, the rich were so rich that their excess was rotting. All the extra clothes they had, all the extra money they had piled away, all the stuff they had stored away, it was being destroyed. And it was at the expense of the poor. In other words, they, were, they, were, they weren't paying the poor, and we'll read about it in a second. And then they were taking that and they were getting rich off of it themselves. That conceited, that pride, that haughtiness had gumped them, that greed had boiled up in their hearts. And he says there, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labor who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And they have kept back. So they kept back the wages from the, the, the poor and they're just rotting away. Verse five, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence and you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person and he will not resist you. There's nothing he can do about it. You are an oppressor. So this is an extreme example of a heart that has become haughty and conceited because of riches, right? That's an extreme example, but that was really happening in that church at that time. And no doubt happens today. And so Paul gives a warning that we are not to allow wealth to go to our heads and our hearts. So make sure that it's not right. And that happens when you make wealth a God. Thirdly, the rich are not to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches. How many of you have enjoyed the stock market over the last say 10, 20 years? How was 2008 for you? How's 2021 for you? 
What's going to happen to the next 2008? Boy, the uncertainty of riches, super skyrocket all the way down to nothing. You know, Gary would be able to speak more to this, uh, but Nazi Germany, the currency in Nazi Germany um, at the end of the World War II, I mean, they were quite well off at their height. But what happened at the end of that is that I think they had to get rid of their currency, didn't they? They have to do something new because it was it was worth nothing. Imagine working your whole life and investing in an economic system. And then at the end of that, your country gets defeated and your currency is worth nothing. Your land is taken from you. It's all gone. Boy, if we think that we have tanks and, and missiles and the military to defend the corruption that is happening within our country, we are totally, absolutely, we're fooled. We're fooled how quickly we can fall. Let's not be haughty. Boy. But the uncertainty of riches, banks are uncertain. Bitcoin is, it's totally certain. Just do that, everybody. Um, it's a way of the future. <laughs> I don't know right now, right? So don't, don't take, I'm not a financial advisor, please. I got to put my disclaimer on. I am advising against future, futures, <laughs> way in the future, but, uh, but good stored are uncertain, right? It's interesting that Jesus warned and Peter as well. And obviously the others about the uncertainty and the temporary nature of human riches and what should be a teaching by Jesus for all of us to kind of anchor on Matthew 6, 19 through 21 regarding riches. He says to his disciples, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do it. This is Jesus. Don't do it. Why? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal the uncertainty of riches. We have these things. Do you guys have weevils here? We have moths, right? Moths eat all your clothes and stuff like that. Well, down in California, like, I don't know, we'd open up like, you know, a shirt that had been in there for a while, no matter what kind of traps you do, whatever you do you open it up and all of a sudden there's this like this little hole in your shirt. You're like, what in the world's going on? They have these weevils like that just eat your clothes. You're like, what is going on there? And you know, you can't fix it if it's in the front, but anyways, clothes are eaten by bugs and moths and weevils. Metal becomes corroded. How many of you have had cars you have to restore or situations and tools? They just fall apart. Your house money can lose its value so quickly. Let me know about this stuff. People are covetousness. People want your stuff. And they don't, you know, that's just kind of is the nature of person. And there's people out there who want to break in and steal. And you think of, okay, well, it used to be, you could lock it up and they couldn't get to it. Now they can get to your identity and steal your identity uh, just so easily. And they can just have a, well, heyday at Walmart. You know, many times kind of like I've had to change our, you know, the bank calls and goes, Hey, you know, um, did you order something? You know, I won't even go into all that, but like, no, I did not order $500 with the dog toys. I don't have a dog, but you know, and that they put ransom on your computer. Now they're, they're locking down people at companies uh, to, unless they give them uh, just crazy amounts of money. Um, you know, like the, what happened with us just, a, it was just a few weeks ago when you had um, someone imitating me, uh, texting you guys saying, Hey, uh, you know, I, we, pastor, this is pastor Matt here really could use your help for money for shut-ins, uh, you know, cancer shut-ins at the hospital. I can't quite make it. Why don't you go ahead and send me some gift cards, you know, and this amount and, and, and people realized quickly that wasn't me. 
you know, and again, it's just like, they're out to get you, right? They're out to get you. They'll do whatever. Or even those who've come into a small fortune in some African country and want to share it with you. If only you could help, you know, I mean, there's just goes on and on the uncertainty of riches, but also uh, it, it's, it's going to try to get taken from you. It's, it's, we're kind of, it's like the second law of thermodynamics with, with riches. It's going from having to have not, no matter what you do, even inflation right now is, is going crazy. You go, Oh, I have this much money in the bank. Actually, you are losing money because the, never mind. I'm not going to go into all this again. I'm not a financial advisor, but don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't rest your hope on earthly riches. They're so volatile. Don't make your life wrapped up in that. Don't make it your God. Here one moment, gone the next, but rather fourthly, if you're taking notes, still verse 17, rest your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The idolatry of wealth is such a bummer because at the end of that road is emptiness. It's the end. It never satisfies. The cars don't satisfy. The houses don't satisfy whatever it is. You've got to go to Mars and then that won't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. It says trusting and rich. It's folly compared to putting your hope in God who truly has limit limited uh, limitless resources for us. The idea is if we go to life, the other things don't become an idol in our life. And he provides all things richly for us that we need in this life. But the world wants to go the other way around. They want to have life by the stuff, by the fruit. You can't have life like that. You've got to go to the source and the source gives you life. And notice the play on words here. He says that God richly provides us everything to enjoy. How does he provide everything for us to enjoy richly out of the abundance Amen. In Matthew seven eleven, Jesus said, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask him. God knows how to provide for us. And by the way, it's talking about material stuff here and, and the Holy spirit in another place. So both spiritual and physical things, God knows how to provide. The Lord knows how to give good gifts. So don't put your hope in riches, make the Lord your treasure, right? Next verse 18, more instruction. He says they are to do good. The rich are to do good, do good. We're going to do three quick things here. One, you're to do good. Number two, to be rich in good works. And number three, to be generous and ready to share. He says what we're not to do, but we're to trust in God. Well, what does trusting in God look like? Three things right here. Number five, uh, if you're taking notes, the rich are to do good. This is the overall flow of a, of a person who has possessions they are to be doing good. That's, that's kind of the overall flow of their life. This means they are to be using their lives and their resources to glorify God. That's what their preoccupation is to be. Number six, it's also to look like to be rich in good works. What's that word rich mean? You're not to be poverty line good in good works. <laughs> You're to be rich, overflowing in good works. This is to define those who have resources. And that's what that means. The rich are those who have more than the basics. And so too, the rich are to be doing more than the poverty line of good. So to speak, they're called to be rich, abounding in good works. 
Number seven, the rich are to be generous and ready to share. That word generous means liberal. This is an area where you do not want to be a conservative. You want to be crazy liberal in this regard in that we are to be generous and ready to share. Make sense? Generous and ready to share. God loves a hilarious giver. Now, you guys know I'm not trying to extort money out of you. This is a lifestyle that believers are to have as we look out at the world around us. Amen. As we see what God has blessed us with and we have more, we go, God, what do you want to do in and through me? Amen. And we look and we see for opportunities to invest in people and the kingdom of God and the gospel and, and helping people in need. I mean, this reminds me of you know, what, what, what uh, Fred said just a while ago about the Christian aid center. I mean, you guys did all the gifts on the tree and donated to where we were able to give an extra five or 600 bucks to the Christian aid center, to the men's program. Those guys are always overlooked. It's always the women and the kids, which we love, but they're, they're, they're well taken care of, but the guys are overlooked. I mean, they're just so blessed. And I know some of you guys are here right now, but just over the years, you know, it's just, man, how generous and how loving and how kind you guys are in your hearts to give in, in that respect. You are, you do this. And so I'm not uh, chastising you. I'm encouraging you. And that's an example of how we're to be generous in, in giving out and, and however the Lord leads you, you know, we're going to be stirring up some mission stuff here. And as uh, soon as, as Gary is, is leading us in that stuff, but there's opportunities for us all over the place with our excess to, to give to people right around you and also beyond. And so number seven, the rich are, are to be generous and ready to share. Um, <clears throat> I think the end of Acts four describes this awesomely of the early church. Acts chapter four, verses 32 through 25, Acts four, 32 through 25. It says, now in the full number of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And so that was the, the work that the Lord had done in their hearts in the early church. People are going, oh, that's communism. No, that's Christianity. Communism forces people to be like that. Jesus Christ in the heart of someone says, you know what? What's well, mine is yours. I love you. If you need it, it's yours. Difference. Right? Different king. King of love. And then there's coercion. Well, king of love. And they had everything in common. It's verse 33 says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34. And there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of land and houses. Who would those be? The rich. He sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. See how that worked. And you guys, we have a benevolent fund and we give out according to, to people who need, need help and those types of things. But you see, there was a, there was the generous rich in the church who were taking their the land. No one was coercing them. And actually you find out if you keep reading, someone had, had feigned to be, uh, generous. They'd sold their stuff, Ananias and Sapphira, and they only, they kept back part of the proceeds for themselves, which wasn't wrong, but they said they gave the whole thing, which was a lie. And they both died because of it. Just keep reading the story. 
But then you had someone else. His name was Barnabas who happened to be a wealthy landowner and he sold his land and gave up his stuff to fund the poor in the church. And you have to remember that in Jerusalem, there were people that were losing their, their jobs and their livelihoods. And they were under great persecution because they were Jews. And because they had decided to follow Jesus, their family now excommunicated them and they had no way of getting jobs. They had no one of these things. And so the church came together and loved on them and said, what you need, we have. And so there was just this abundance of grace. They were rich in good works. May we continue to push towards that as we look at this year, this year coming up and the opportunities that God would give us, not only rich in, you know, money stuff, but in our time and our talents and our treasure towards one another and towards the world around us for the sake of the gospel. Amen. And the result of this in church, this is, this is where I want us to focus in here on the final part here is verse 19. What's the result of all this? thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that, which is truly life. Paul's echoing Jesus's teachings, which we just read in Matthew six nineteen through 20. We read verse 19 where we are warned, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth because they're going to get messed up. They aren't going to, they aren't going to last. But the flip side of that, and what Paul is saying here in verse 19 is what Jesus commanded in verse 20 of Matthew 6. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where neither, neither uh, thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, if you love this world, if you love this life, if this is your home, if Jesus is not your Lord, guess what your life is going to look like? It's going to be invested totally in the material. It's going to be invested in self. And you might wrap that up in spirituality, but that's what it's going to look like. But if your treasure is the Lord, then you are going to be investing in him material possessions, all the things we have, money, good stuff. They are simply, uh, God takes care of us, but we are going to give according to the way the spirit leads us. And when we do, we actually are investing in the future. This is how you transfer wealth from here to there. Remember I said, you don't see you all following her, all type of stuff. Well, this is how money gets transferred. This is how it works. This is how you invest in the future. You lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When the rich believers do good, when we're rich in good works and we're generous and ready to share, that is storing up treasures in heaven. And Paul speaks about this and, and, and Jesus speaks about this, but the treasures, unlike earthly treasures are transferable in the next age. Unlike the temporary corruptible church uh, riches of today, good works done to the glory of God is an investment of riches in the age to come in the age to come. Now those riches are the currency of, of the future. It can't the bugs can't eat them. They can't be stolen. They can't be rusted. None of that stuff. No one can steal them. As a matter of fact, first Peter chapter, th- chapter one, verses three and four speaks about our future inheritance. And he speaks of it this way. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he caused us 
to be uh, to, uh, to an inheritance. What about that inheritance that we have in Christ when we're born again? What about these future riches? He says there, he says they are imperishable. They're undefiled, unfading, and they're kept in heaven for you. They're eternal. They're the exact opposite of what we keep trying to build up for ourselves here. These riches are eternal. And Paul calls it a good foundation for the future. And this is what he's trying to appeal to. He's appealing to the rich. And usually the rich know how to handle money, right? That's why they're usually rich. Amen. No, many amens. Okay. (laughs) Paul knows this about the rich. They know how to handle money. They know how to handle earthly possessions. They generally are investing and prepared for the future, right? And I don't think the scriptures knock against that, by the way. I don't think that's just don't make it your God. Amen. Don't, don't trust in that, but it's okay to be wise. But Paul isn't, is using the same idea of investing in the future here. Think about it, church. Just like you plan for the earthly future, plan for the real future that's coming. Plan for the after. It's coming. Plan for the real future. Invest beyond this life. The next age where your currency isn't earthly, where riches are spiritual. Here's the thing. The rich have the tendency to think of now. While the poor have a tendency to think of, of, of then. That's why the... They say that Jesus said, it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of where your trust is. If you don't have anything, you tend to hope in God. But if you got the stuff taken care of, you tend to trust in riches. Make sense. And so the warning is for the rich. Don't lose out. Don't lose out. Poor. Don't try to go after the things of this life. Go after the true riches, rich, Don't be deceived into thinking that this is truly life. It's not, it's going away because what's going to happen is if you do that and by God's grace, you are saved and you enter into the next life, you are going to be poorly invested. And I think as I look at scripture, we want to think spiritually And he talks about what God has given us. What have we done with that? How have we invested that for the kingdom? Each person accountable for that. So some he's been given one talent. What did you do with that talent? Some he's given five, some he's given 10. What have you done with that talent? And at the end, you will be rewarded accordingly with what God has given you in the next age. Jesus said in Matthew six, Therefore, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you're going to put on. Don't be worrying about riches. Don't worry about that stuff. That's what the Gentiles go after. He goes, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing, man. This morning, let, let God speak to our hearts. If you're in here this morning, you think that the pursuit of riches, the pursuit of all that stuff is life. You are deceived. I'm deceived. That's not it. That's not life. Jesus says, isn't life more than these things? These are the things the Gentiles seek after the non-believers. Those who understand this principle that life is more than temporary possession, that it's actually found in God, that he's the source of life. If you go after him, if you seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, if you seek first his kingdom, man, you found life. 
not only here, but in the age to come. So that's the word from Paul to the rich eight things. Riches are temporary. Number one, number two, don't be haughty. Number three, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. Number four, trust in God. Number five, do good. Number six, be rich in good works. Seven, be generous. Eight, be ready to share. If you do these things, you are storing up treasures in heaven and God is good on his promises. Real quickly, I've got to finish the last two verses. He shifts back to Timothy. Oh, Timothy, guard the what? Deposit entrusted to you. As Timothy faced these people who are teaching about materialism as, uh, as godliness as a means of gain. He says, man, Timothy guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. I believe he's talking about there mainly the truth of the gospel. And also I would say also the gifts to communicate it. But the context here is that Timothy was to guard the truth that was given to him. Do not compromise on this, Timothy. Do not lead the church into a covetousness of stuff. Don't back down on this. It's a lie. Again, the end result is just going to be ungodliness. Avoid and to guard it for Timothy was to avoid irreverent, irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. The irreverent babble Timothy was to avoid. uh, It means to run away from, he says, avoid it, run away from it. Uh, And this had to do with all the teachings that they were the Jews. We'll get into it when we get into second Timothy, avoid that stuff the false teachings and avoid that babble. And also similarly avoid the lies of the babble, the contradictions, the debates and what is falsely called knowledge. And, and that is the roots or the beginnings of what we know as the Gnostic heresies. And John addresses those in first, second, third John and the other gospels as well. The idea that somehow knowledge wrapped up with spirituality um, is a means to salvation and all this kind of stuff. It just gets weird. And he says there in verse 21, it says, and by professing it, someone who the people who have gathered onto these false doctrines who haven't protected what is what the truth have gone after this weird stuff. Some have swerved from the faith. And so Timothy was to guard that deposit. And so are we to church this year as you're moving forward. Um, look out at, at, at 2022 and just take stock of what God's given you of how you are richly blessed in so many ways. Don't compare yourself to your neighbor, but look at your life and look what God's given you. Look at who he's made you to be. Look at the mind he's given you. Look at the abilities he's given you. Look at the talent he's given you. Look at the treasure he's given you. Look at the people he's placed in your life. Look at the job you have. Look at the, you know, all these types of things. Listen, there's a lot to complain about, but there's so much to rejoice over. Amen. And look at it and say, God, you are so good. Thank you for giving me air to breathe. Thank you for letting me live in Walla Walla, Washington, or wherever you might live. Thank you for the ability to gather together with believers. Thank you for being able to praise your name and to be a witness. Thank you for being able to, being able to be worthy to be suffer for your namesake. Say some of you are getting rejected. Just look at opportunities to just go praise God. And now God, this is my life. This is what you've given me. This is where I am. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to be the tip of the spear for what you want to do in my home and my work and my community or whatever it might be. And Lord, let me be a giver. 
Let me give from the overflowing. I was thinking of that, you know, one of my pastors, pastor Pat Kenny, I love him back in, he was my pastor when I came back to the Lord and he talked about this thing called monkey treats. I've shared it with you before about monkeys and they catch monkeys in the jungle. They take a coconut, they haul out the top and they put a treat in there and they somehow tie the coconut to a line. And the monkey would go down and he'd reach and grab in for the treat, but he wouldn't let go. And so he couldn't get his hand out. And that's how they caught him. If he just let go of the stuff, he'd be able to be free. Don't go for the monkey treats, man. Let go. <laughs> let go of the stuff, right? Let go of the trap and look at this year, maybe. And, and again, take what I'm saying and bring it before the Lord. And may God bless you guys and just pour out through you. Amen. May he provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. And Paul ends with this last license and grace be with you. That word grace is just God's overflowing goodness towards you. May God's grace be with you this year, church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and how good it is. And even as we quickly went over these last few verses here, there's just so much. And I just pray that it wouldn't bounce off our hearts. God, give us the grace to have those soft, tender hearts for the word to go down and produce a harvest. Change us deeply, Lord. Cause a deep dissatisfaction in our souls with the status quo. Help us to grab hold of what's truly life. Forgive us, Lord, for being haughty or for not being mindful of you with all that you've given us. Open our eyes to the fields that are around us. Show us the person this week that we're to bless and to pour into with whatever resources you've given us, trusting that you will resupply as we are givers and give away. And so Lord, help us to look with the eyes of God upon this world and not with the eyes of men. And Lord, we trust you for our future. We trust that as we just simply obey your word, that you'll take care of the future. Father, every single day you promise it. We don't have to worry. You're so good. And so we commit this church to you. We commit our hearts to you and the ministries that you have ahead of us and the lives Lord that you would want to change forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.